was a baller. I wish I had a girl with a good, I would call her. I wish I had a rabbit in a hat with a bat is up internet where Latvia at? My name is Matthew Kroll. And you're going to be starting the minute after Niven. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Amateur. Directed by Ryan Koo, who, if I'm not mistaken, is sitting in the room next to us. What? What? You're not mistaken. Ah! <laughs> hey, guys. That's creepy. <laughs> he just appeared in a, in a puff of smoke and, 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 and wonderment. Ryan, how you doing, buddy? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thanks oh, for coming. Thanks for coming on board. If uh, listeners don't know, Ryan Koo is the founder of No Film School, a, a website. If you're a filmmaker, you absolutely must put on your bookmarks and be visiting every day. Um, you are also the host of a podcast that I've been binging for the last week called First Feature, um, which is a fantastic recount of how this film, which is now currently playing on Netflix, uh, Amateur, came to be. You seem like a busy guy. Well, you know, it's not that busy if you spread it out over seven years. Well, <laughs> I was saying to Ryan earlier, this is the the equal parts terrifying. And, you know, his, his podcast is obviously inspirational because you've made a feature film that is currently playing on Netflix. But it's also terrifying because it took seven years. And, and the podcast basically highlights those seven years in detail. So it's equally inspiring and terrifying for me. Hopefully the podcast, if it does its job, will make it less than seven years for those who listen. And then can there you go. Avoid some of the pitfalls and so on and so forth. <laughs> you are you are doing about. a service through all of your deeds. <laughs> uh, yeah, seriously. I mean, if I, I would argue, even uh, you're saying like, oh, if you're a filmmaker, check out No Film School. I would argue you might not even be a filmmaker unless you check out No Film School. That's true. Ooh, there I we like go. That. that is the that's a, that's the quote that we'll use. That, nice, slow nice. Yeah, the, yeah. Pull quote. Boom. <laughs> done in the first two minutes. Um, yeah, I I um I was psyched that you were coming on, and I was psyched we were going to talk about this because. Uh, well, for one, we've been stuck in Marvel Town for a very long time on this podcast, uh, and I'm super, even though I love them, I'm super psyched to get out. Uh, so this was a breath of fresh air to to my uh, to my my viewing habits. It's You're a like, big town. It's a very large town. Yeah. Marvel Town. Marvel, Marvel yeah. Town. You're like that. Uh, you know, like the the stories of dads who give their kids a cigarette to smoke so they'll never smoke it again. Sure. Or like you know, give them a lot of cigarettes to smoke. That's what you're like with Marvel movies. Am I the dad and Marvel's the cigarette? Are you the dad? And I'm either the... way, there's some child abuse going on oh, here. That's and terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> But if you'd like to chat to us about Marvel or other movies, uh, you can contact us at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod. Um, or nicotine addiction or whatever you want to really... Yeah, you whatever know. you want to talk about yeah. at this point. Um, but uh, Ryan... Uh, I I mean, listen, I, I feel like you've been in my ear for the last uh, <laughs> like 14 hours. So it's, it is actually kind of weird to have you in front of me. Um I, I'm kind of just curious, how, how's life right now? The, the movie just released on Netflix uh, about a month ago, um, and you are, if I'm correct, about to move to L.A. So I feel like life yeah. is changing for you at this moment, which, I, which is why I'm very um, happy that we managed to get you right at this sort of transitional period, I guess, in your life. Yeah, life has been great. We're sort of wrapping up doing press yeah. for the movie, talking about it, and it's done phenomenally well for Netflix. Yeah. Uh, as you guys know, Netflix <laughs> movies are when they're originals, like, like amateur is mm -hmm. they're released simultaneously around the world. So, uh, it's been in random places that I've never been, but the movie's <laughs> there and hopefully I'll, you know, go there one day and meet people who've seen the movie, but it's everywhere. It's done really well. And you know, at a certain point you've got to, you got to set your baby free and start thinking about the next thing. And I'm kind of right, right at that point now. Yeah. And is this, is this what's prompted the move to LA? Yeah, I mean, I actually flew to L.A. so many times during the course of getting this movie financed and editing and, and all those parts of the process that JetBlue was like, you've made mosaic status. So I'm like, oh, this is right. literally one flight. <laughs> it's JFK to LAX. No other flights, just back and forth, back and forth. So that, that told me something that... So airpoints dictated the move more yeah, than... I mean, <laughs> you this status means I, I should probably just be there. As right. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, the airplane is a good place to write, though. So maybe, I mean, maybe, maybe I'll not get anything written once I, I move there. We'll see. I hear Just it's fly back. Uh, I hear it's <laughs> Quentin Tarantino's favorite place to write is on airplanes, and there are really uh, famous stories of uh, people who are on first class with Tarantino who go to sleep, you know, watching him write, and will wake up and he would have been writing the whole night, kind of thing. Huh. Um, so maybe there's something to that. I was hoping the story would be, and Tarantino leans over and asks, like, "What do you think of this?" Uh, there is a there is a ah! famous story of uh, of a journalist who Tarantino was writing Kill Bill on a plane and ended up next to him and and asked him to read it on the plane. 
Um, and it was like a really early draft of this. Now, there is a connection here to Tarantino because your film went to the Sundance Writers Lab. Is that correct? And and Tarantino was one of the people who mentored you. Is that correct? Uh, he did not mentor me. He was a mentor at that lab that year. It was the first time he'd been back since Reservoir Dogs uh, played at Sundance. Mm-hmm. So he was, this was the first time he was an advisor. And as you can imagine, <laughs> it probably changed the tenor of the whole lab. He's quite the character, but he's absolutely the genuine real deal. We would stay up till late talking about movies. And if you're going to go toe to toe with somebody about movies, uh, even you guys may not stand up to, to claim. I, oh, I, I don't, uh, I don't no imagine way. I have a chance of standing up to Tarantino. Even I think Shahir with our powers combined, uh, we, we would probably last maybe like a minute and a half yeah. and then just, just tap out. <laughs> uh, I don't, yeah, he's, he's a beast and he, uh, I, yeah, I, I've just got anxiety thinking about like that, what that conversation would be like. And I'd be like, uh, uh did, yeah, but in Doctor Strange, there was, um, and then I'd just run away. Yeah, I think I remember throwing out some things and then being like, oh, that was <laughs> So, Matt, can you tell us what Amateur is about? Can you read us the IMDb Ooh. synopsis? Ooh. And then let's run it past Ryan and see if it's so, accurate. I, who, I want to know who writes these, first of all. Do you even know who wrote your no, IMDb? No, and you can't, they, they don't want the synopsis to be the official company line sure oh, to really? be user submitted so okay. oh so, so this is a user submitted i think so what is it i don't know well, here, let's we go. <laughs> here we go here we go here we go are you ready it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna spoil the entire film so just get ready uh a young basketball future star struggles with his personal life in pursuits of his dream Oh, actually, I do know that because I I had, <laughs> I had texted one of my producers, Chip Horahan, about that because th- whoever had, had submitted it had spelled pursuit wrong. Oh, really? And you and you they, thought- they've since corrected it. But oh, I remember thinking like my movie has a misspelled <laughs> synopsis on IMDb. <laughs> this is like reality meets dream. You know, that, that's not what I had in mind. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, could you I mean, uh, the we always find the IMDb synopsis is a kind of like either simplified or they give away too much. What, what could you tell us what the movie's about just for, you know, like you've been pitching this movie a while now that you've kind of like had it out there in the world and you want people, the general audience to see it. What, how, how would you sell it? Sure. Yeah. It's a child in a man's world and it's a 14 year old basketball player who in the internet age gets famous via YouTube, which <laughs> is a thing that's different today than it was say in the days of hoop dreams or he got game. And as a result, he's recruited to play for a team of older kids and uh, then learns about the system of amateur athletics in this country and what may or may not be discriminatory or, or an injustice. Uh, so it's an exploration of these issues through the eyes of a, of a child. Okay. And I think that's an interesting point because the original title for this film was Manchild. Is that right? Yeah, which is a term that if you're from the sports world, it has a certain connotation, but outside of the sports world, people are like, what the hell is that? <laughs> so, yeah. So I, 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 as you know, Shahir, cause we are in the same filmmakers collective together and I, I did a short film also mm-hmm. called amateur. And after making the short film realized that's a better title for the feature. And I'd rewritten the feature so many times that it was actually about something different by that point. So mm-hmm. then I just retitled the feature that as well. Nice. All right. And, and this, uh, even, uh, in sort of my, my, my digging into sort of the little bits of how this sort of came about that you are what I would consider at this point, because uh, this was originally a Kickstarter thing that you eventually got funded. You were like one of the first real like film projects to get like a fully fun. You are you are technically, sir, uh, what I would consider Kickstarter royalty. <laughs> uh, so congratulations on that from a person who's run multiple failed campaigns. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a blessing and a curse. I mean. I don't, I don't know what we get as royalty. Is there like a chalice? Or <laughs> there a better be. Or, yeah. yeah. But you know, that's one of the things that I'm, I'm still dealing with. Is really? Like, oh, you still doing Kickstarter rewards? Yeah, exactly. Because oh. I had 2000 something backers and I'm fulfilling Blu-rays and DVDs and I forgot oh, that a certain wow. number of them were signed and all sorts of stuff. So even just delivering a digital download of the movie securely. Sure. Yeah. Given that it's Netflix, you know, to get their permission, I had to have a certain level of security in place that's all been on me. So in addition to doing press, I've also been the uh, Kickstarter reward fulfillment center. Yeah, no, I mean that's, and, and it's, well then also, and this, I guess will up your royalty status, maybe to mosaic royalty status. Um, <laughs> the, the kudos to you for like sticking with backers and like still doing all the things because I've, I've, I've uh, submitted to some Kickstarter. I've, I've given money to some things that like three years down the line, they're like, we did it. Thanks. And you're like, uh, where's yeah. my shit? 
Yeah. So well, yeah, people were saying, "Where's my shit?" Three years down the line, and then four years later, I finished the movie. So there were definitely some people that, but the, were like this is taking too long, and it's like, well, you're actually just backing me to do more work over a longer period of time, right? And it's gonna be a better movie. So, you know, patience, please. It's not like it's a it's a, a gadget or something that you are missing in your life. Like sure. it's a movie, and if it takes longer, like you'll get the DVD, but it's you know, it's it's gonna take a while. Yeah. And over that course of seven years, like things have changed, right? Like I'm sure like Blu-rays were like the main offering <laughs> in the initial Kickstarter. And now it's like, who wants a Blu-ray? I, in my survey, I sent it like, <laughs> do you still have a player of discs? Yeah. And would you still like it? Because yeah. if not, I'm not going to send you one. I'll give you the download. And then, you know, it, so a certain percentage of people have said, no, I don't. What Like, what is a DVD? I haven't watched a DVD <laughs> wow. in years. Yeah, like, that's how the, long it took. I'd want the Blu-ray. <laughs> I'm, I'm a physical, I'm a yeah. physical media collector. I, I, uh. Yeah, I like having a nice case and you know, like little special features and things. I like, and I also. Hey, who said anything about cases? Yeah, oh, there's really? no cases. There's oh wow! <laughs> Let's take back that Kickstarter royalty. Kickstarter peasant. No. Whoa, whoa! No, it's not like he's offering steelbooks and it's shit. Hard yeah. to ship. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's it's true. The disc, you know. Yeah. So because then I, I have to be the one too to go do the graphic design uh, for the sleeve. Mm-hmm. And all. I mean, and you're probably carrying it to the post office. <laughs> yeah, as well. at a certain point, you gotta, you gotta, you know, <laughs> real artist ship. Right? Yeah. <laughs> seven, seven years later. Well. I I want to take a real step back with you because I think one thing about amateur is it's a real exemplification of what no film school represents in a way. And I think uh, a lot of what no film school has come to represent is is embodied through you and through the, the challenge that you set yourself to making this film and actually um, going through the entire process and not only going through the entire process, but also documenting it for everyone, which I think is really powerful, important. Again, I highly recommend anyone who's listening to this, who is a filmmaker to please. Uh, and I'm not saying this just as a plug because you're here. It's like, I would tell people no film school is one of the primary resources that you should be going to. If you're a filmmaker, I've heard you actually Thank tell you. people that in person before. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's not just, I can, you. Cr- I can, uh, what's not commiserate. What's that? Is that the word I can, what's the legalese for agreeing with you? Correct. Corroborate. Corroborate. Thank you. <laughs> um, but uh, but the the secondary thing is so it's not just filmmaking. Um, uh, it, it's also basketball, which I think is something that um, both you and I uh, have a sort of common interest. And in. I played basketball all the way through high school and to college as well. It's a podcast uh, people can't tell, but she here is quite tall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, You're kind of a beast. I'm kind of a beast, but but now a very slow beast. And and <laughs> not a, not a and I will, I'll be perfectly honest. Though I played all those years, I I was not a very good player. And you and were just tall. I was just tall. I was I had the size and some ball handling skills. That's all I had. Ooh, say that again. Uh, ball handling skills. Thank you. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Um, but I, 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 the thing I was listening to in your podcast was like this sort of the, the sense of storytelling, I guess, about your life in, in a way, which is that you're, you're editing your, your start of your filmmaking career started with editing your mixtapes for your basketball team. And eventually the two kind of paths kind of landed you in this position where you've now got a Netflix feature about a kid who makes uh, or who's part of a mixtape for, you know, like of basketball teams. I'm curious, like, what is the, what is the thing about basketball other than playing it that you think lends itself visually that you, th- that, that compels you to make, want to make films about basketball or a film about basketball? I, I think there was an opportunity there because basketball is a really hard sport to portray on film. It's not like uh, football where they're wearing a helmet so you can have a different person than mm-hmm. the actor play the sport. You've really got to be able to play it for real. And, and also if you look at somebody who doesn't know how to play, you can immediately tell that they, mm-hmm. that they can't play. So I'd seen a lot of basketball movies where I just didn't believe the action yeah. and I think a lot of real basketball junkies don't like fictional basketball movies for that reason right because it's like it just isn't realistic so yeah. that was part of the idea of having it be about a kid is that we could find somebody who can really play and act and cast that person as opposed to we need a star of a certain level who maybe isn't a player and then we'll have to try to teach them how to play. I mean, obviously Spike Lee got around that by casting Just an NBA star. Yeah. So, sure. So, um, yeah. And then, so visually I thought that I had some ideas about how to portray the sport and it was also basketball was just one of the first topics in life that I remember growing up thinking, I think I'm actually right about this, right? right. Like I'm playing on a team and I have other teammates and they're scoring more points but this is before an era of advanced analytics. I'm pretty sure that I'm actually doing more to win the game than they are, but you know, oh. it's like, so it's like a knowledge thing. It's like, I feel like I know this uh. topic inside and out and I disagree with other people, but I want to have 
a medium through which I can express my feelings and my knowledge about this topic. So that was, that was part of where it came from. And then in addition to uh, my own high school mixtape being the first video I ever edited, actually, I didn't say this in our podcast when I got to college and I was taking a, a class in you know, film, mm-hmm. not to say that, you know, you can't take classes in film if you have a website called no, <laughs> no film, film school. Yeah. Yeah. You know, film school, if it doesn't cost you any more than any other major would have cost you. Right. Dot com. uh, So my first video I did in college was actually a a guy playing Nerf basketball in his dorm room, you know? So I looked back on it and it was like, this is clearly a a thread here. I should, I should, you know, keep tugging on that thread. Okay. And, 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 uh, you know, because I, I think as well, um, I, I think you're a little bit younger than I am, but, but we probably grew up around the same period where there was like the sort of glut of basketball movies that were like popular. Like, and, and if you were a basketball player in that period, like that's what you consumed. Like white man can't jump was on repeat, mm-hmm. you know, at my house all I've the time. I've seen that movie more than any other movie. Yeah, exactly. And there were like a couple of moves in white man can't jump, which were, which were completely ridiculous by the way, <laughs> but that, you know, like we would spend all summer practicing <laughs> to see if we could do, did you do them? Uh, yeah, I could do, but and I learned that they were completely ridiculous. You know, like they have no functional purpose. Okay. I think Wesley Snipes is a bit of martial artist than he is a basketball. No, he's a pretty good basketball player. Hey, athlete. Listen, some athlete. motherfuckers yeah. always trying to ice skate uphill. There you go. <laughs> uh, so on the basketball kick, mm-hmm. uh, Ryan, uh, I I have a of a confession to make. <laughs> uh, I don't like sports movies, <laughs> but uh, watching amateur was a really cool experience for me because I had the same experience watching amateur or the same sort of like mental, um, I, I guess, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just connection? sort of like connection. Yeah, that's good. Wh- that I did when I watched Moneyball. And the reason I think that is for me personally is I don't ever like, it's funny, all the stuff Shahir hates about the comic book movies that I love are kind of the same things I hate about general sports movies. There's like always a baseline uh, antagonist villain type thing that doesn't really make any sense in a logical world. And then there's always like this one thing and the one chance and it's like the, it's a hero's journey, but it's just sort of like, and whatever. Uh, But again, I I, I like that in other mediums. But in, in, in amateur, what I really dug was and it's kind of the same thing in Moneyball too. The the film presented itself in a way that gave me consistently all of the information that I need to not only understand sort of the thing I don't initially understand, even just being basketball, like I know basic rules and that's it, but also like showed me aspects of it that I haven't seen in other films before. Mainly the, the you know, scouting very young and sort of what happens to these young people that get whipped up in this really kind of crazy world that it's allowed to exist. Uh, so I really dug sort of seeing like the under the hood. Uh, it, it felt like, yeah, it felt like under the hood of a sports movie. Absolutely. Me. And I dug the hell out of that. Thank you. Yeah, I think you can't really make a traditional sports movie anymore. The minute you say that you're making it, people say, oh, I've seen that before. Yeah. And, yeah. and there was that sort of glut in the late 90s, early 2000s. There really haven't been that many sports movies since. And the ones that are, are just, they're basically traditional dramas set in the world of sports, whether it's Moneyball or mm-hmm. I, Tanya. It's like the sport yeah. is draft day. The, the sport is kind of a, it's around it, but it's not about hitting the game winner at the end of the yeah. film. Yeah, yeah. And like the whole, the fate of the characters being decided on the court or on the field like that, that feels really cliche now. So mm-hmm. you have to find a sort of side door uh, to do something new because people are so super sensitive to, Oh, I've seen that before. What, how is this different? You know? Yeah. Well with that, what, what do you think was the, you know, like, so obviously there's the visual component and also the, the kind of the fact that, you know, this world of basketball, you played it, you understand it physically. What was the kind of impulse for making amateur that, you know, was like the thing that was like, I think this is going to make a great movie that I can make. I grew up uh, in North Carolina, big mm-hmm. basketball state. My parents have PhDs, they're mm-hmm. academics, but they're also, my dad's a professor at University of North Carolina, so mm-hmm. big basketball school, yeah. mm-hmm. also a school that was embroiled in quite the academic scandal more recently. Yeah. But so I grew up in the middle of this sort of sports and big time school athletics specifically and academia and just felt like there was something that wasn't being said outside of books and think pieces in entertainment about a difference in certain sports 
which may be more predominantly African-American versus what rights people have in other sports. And that there's a way to explore an issue through the eyes of a character that you can generate empathy for among the audience. And if you do it right, that maybe you can change some minds and and have your, have your, uh, you know, lofty goal of changing the world through a movie. And, and, and that kind of, uh, high level goal is the kind of thing that I think can help you keep going when you're hearing no for year after year after year is if you don't have that really, um, if you don't have a purpose and have something that you really believe in that you want to say, yeah. then when people say no, you might be sort of more likely to say, oh, well, all right, I give up. Yeah. But I think, no, I have to say this. And so that's, that's, that helped me stick to it. And, and your movie couldn't have come at a bit of time because there's currently a, an ongoing scandal with college schools about the way um, college athletics is portrayed. Could you, I mean, I've kind of loosely followed that, but like, I, and I, and I guess what I'm interested here is like how, that scandal kind of relates to what you wanted to say in your film. For sure. Well, in this country, mm-hmm. we tie elite athletics to our schools. And mm-hmm. most other places around the world, if you're really good at a sport, you just go join a club team and you can start getting paid really early. And yeah. you have nothing to, you, can, you can get schooled on the side. You can be tutored. You can go to a school, but you're not part of this quote unquote student hyphen athlete system. Mm -hmm. So we are the ones that do that. And that creates all sorts of restrictions, which is an innate uh, hypocrisy where these kids are generating billions of dollars for large organizations, but they are the, the labor cannot be paid. Yeah. So we are unique in that in the world. And we're only unique in that in essentially football and basketball. Those are the only sports that really generate revenue and generate billions. Yeah. Yeah. But yet if you look at tennis, gymnastics, swimmers, mm. most of the Olympic sports, you know, people go pro at 13, 14, yeah. 15 and can get paid money. So why is that? And so I wanted to explore that through the eyes of a kid who doesn't know these issues and doesn't come to it with preconceived notions and just is, is asking questions. The, oh, sorry. I was going to say the, and, and going off of sort of coming at it from, uh, this kid's perspective, uh, another thing I found sort of refreshing was we you know you do often in films you know you go along with the main character you you sort of follow along the journey but like i feel like this the the way that uh tehran was sort of uh presented almost felt like my own little choose your own adventure in this world of like high school to to eventually college athletics and by that i mean Everyone was coming at him and, 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 and myself as the viewer, I felt very sort of in that seat of like, well, this is important. No, this is important. You have to think of this. You have to think of this. You have to think of this to the point where like there were so many opinions around him and around like the choices that he had to make that I was like, how like I'm getting a little stressed out mm-hmm. just watching this. How are children supposed to actually make decisions like this? What if. And, you know, his parents in the film have their own sort of traits and and I would argue pros and cons to the way they look at um, the, the situation. But like that even felt balanced to a point. Like imagine imagine a kid whose parents aren't even remotely that intelligent or supportive. And it's like you're going to destroy people. So uh, I just found, I found the, the, the direction of which. So it was like sort of hyper focused on his perspective. Plus. Uh, you you got to experience from that perspective all of the different outside forces that basically fuck with these kids and uh and 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 that was a powerful thing for me again coming coming from a especially coming from a non-sports background <laughs> at all i mean you see the studio uh, what what sport memorabilia do you see there's nothing here uh if you want 80s covers of supervillains on them of records then i got that but no i i really i really dug i really dug that uh it felt super personal and I was like educated by it. I don't know. I, I, I dug the shit out of that too. Great. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the other thing that I wanted to do differently was usually in a sports movie, uh, you know, take something like the blind side, for example, it's like the kid is the supporting character and then the white savior, Sandra Bullock mm-hmm. comes in, saves yep. the day. She's the main character. And that was part of what was so challenging about getting this movie made is I said, no, I not only do I want the kid to be the main character, but there are no scenes without him. Right. The yeah. entire film is, is him. And, and, Shahir, you know from a production standpoint that that creates all sorts of challenges because a, a kid can't be going 12-hour days with child labor laws, and so you have less uh, 
less, less time to actually make your movie. But that was from the very beginning, the thing that made it incredibly challenging was also what made it different and what made me want to do it to put the audience in his shoes and not, and not have them take the perspective of the adults yeah. uh, in that world. And that's it's, difficult to pull off and it totally did. So, yeah. And, it, yeah, and I think it also, the other side of it is, is um, in terms of like getting the movie financed as well, you've kind of set yourself a slightly uphill battle in that you can, it's hard to find a 14 year old kid, a, who can play basketball B is a recognizable face enough to get your movie financed, especially if they're the main star of the film. And, and it's kind of, you know, like, all films are a miracle in some way, but this one in particular, because it, not only that, it's, your, it's also your first film and it's not your typical first indie, you know, like it's not a, it's not two people talking in a room about dating kind of, you know, the, the very prototypical, <laughs> I, I hate to say it, but Sundance, scene, this scene right here, we could, yeah, do, we could did, do this. As this a is scene. a podcast. Yeah, yeah. This is a movie. Did right you here. just get a hold of my script? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it sounds makeable. So congratulations. Okay. On that. Exactly. We could make it right now with a couple of five D's. Um, <laughs> iPhone. Um, yeah. but so, so you kind of sit this like fairly major uphill battle and you hit a lot of roadblocks along the way. Again, it's all detailed in your podcast and it's a, it's a really remarkable listen. Um, what, you know, and, and you even alluded to the fact as well was like, you, there are so many no's that sometimes you can even just be like, well, maybe I'll put this aside for a second. Was there ever kind of the, the journey seems so long. Uh, and I guess I'm speaking from personal experience as well, of trying to make things where, you know, you hit a roadblock and you're like, okay, you know what, rather than dwell on that roadblock, I'm just going to go off and make something. Was there ever a point where you were like, oh, you know what, I'm going to try, instead of working on this, I'm going to try something else. Or did that, you know, did that feeling come over you? It didn't. I mean, <laughs> I definitely put it aside yeah. and I definitely, you know, part of where making the short came from was that I did want to make something and finish it and put it out there in the world. Yeah. And in this case, it was a directing sample for the feature in, in sort of the same sports genre, same, same yeah. basketball world. I think the nice thing about independent film from the beginning is even though we don't have any government funding for film in this country, unlike many others, yeah, uh, we do have a lot of organizations that can select you for certain programs or give you grants. And there was a certain climbing of a staircase there for me through IFP and Tribeca and Sundance. And so as long as there's some sense of forward momentum yeah. to go with the nose, then I, I think it helps to feel like you're getting somewhere. Right. And that's, that's sort of what it was for me. It's like, Oh, I'm not, you know, people are selling, telling me no, but the other thing too, honestly, is that when people tell you no, some of them tell you no, and right. And they'll, they'll give you a little feedback on yeah. what they thought about the script. So for me, it wasn't just five years of writing and hearing. No, it was five years of actually learning to be a screenwriter and huh. working on my craft, which I would have to do whether I was working on one draft, one script for 20 something drafts or two drafts of 10 scripts, you know, whatever it was, it was just, it's like being a basketball player. You got to right. get on the court and put in the hours and practice and sweat and learn all your best moves and what, what works and what doesn't and all that sort of stuff. It was the same thing with screenwriting. It was just getting in the, the hours. It's almost as if <laughs> you learned a craft related to filmmaking outside of an educational institution. <laughs> what would you call that? Oh, I, I mean, if there was like a website for I would, that, I would say, uh, uh, uh no, not non makey, non makey, non makey, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, no, no education. Yeah. I don't know. Non educational. We'll stuff. think of it. We'll think <laughs> of it. We'll, we'll, we'll make sure you get a nickel every time we say it. Um, <laughs> so, okay. So, so in the sports world, I think that's the, that's the, you know, when they do the, the stand up and the football, it's, that's the, uh, the school, of the hard knocks so ah. is where you, is where you learn. Ah, but was that website already taken? Oh, <laughs> oh wait, film school, the hard knocks. I better go register that yeah. right now. <laughs> Dot gov. So Dot one of the things I was uh, now, uh, you know, full disclosure, I, I read the script at an early stage. I've seen your short film. We're part of the same collective. So, you know, I've had some knowledge, although, you know, not, not too much of, uh, of like you working on this project and, you know, known you for a little bit. Um, and, and I was kind of, I'm, I'm curious, the, there's a really interesting thing about your script, and and I was re I was watching Heat the other night, Michael Mann's film Heat, and this is going to be a we, we watched that in L.A. when I was there for the Netflix preview, uh, really premiere, yeah. 
Uh, it's such a such it's, a LA classic. It is, yeah. Michael Mann's he is just an incredible film. Yeah. And and the thing that I the, I actually draw a direct line from Heat to your movie. What? Yeah, yeah. And I and I want to I want to point it this way because uh, when I was watching Heat again, I was sort of struck by how many stories that film is doing. How many very different stories. There's a serial killer movie. There's a heist movie. There's a divorce film. There's a film about depression. You know, there's there's all these disparate elements. So much so that each one of them could be a film unto itself. So as I was watching Amateur, that was actually kind of a really um, kind of an amazing thing to watch was that your film is made up of so many different stories that are that that are almost, you know, you've got a story about a young man with a, a learning disability. You've got a story about a parent who's dealing with um, some um, separation from their child. You've got a story about college athletics, about actually learning to play the sport, about the the corruption in that game. And so, and then as well, there's a sort of really uh, amazing contemporary story about the, the, the role of social media in athletics now and how it's entirely changed the game. So I, I, was, the, I was really struck by how your screenplay manages to balance all those things across this one character. And it's kind of an amazing thing to, to actually watch. And, 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 and I think, you know, the remarkable thing there as well is that that is not something that an indie film should aspire to do because it's so complicated. I mean, w- did you ever kind of in the... Pr- I don't know if that was always the impulse and that was always the thing that you wanted to do or whether it was intentional or not, but, but was there ever a point where it was like, oh, I've got a little bit too much going on or, or if I just made this about one game, for example, like I could get financing right away. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I mean, there is too much going on at some points and, uh, I definitely cut characters. I cut scenes. I, I would try to whittle it down and there was always one of those threads that I wanted to remove, but I think the script eventually was telling me whenever I took one of them out, what I was saying about the world of sports in general was then, it was missing something right. because all of those elements contribute to the stakes of what you might go through. For example, the father is suffering from CTE, yeah. chronic traumatic encephalopathy as a result of being an ex football player. And it's a storyline that you could pull out. But as soon as I did that, then you don't have the stakes being risen for the kid to know what sports represent. And by giving your entire life to try to pursue this, you know, what happens with the specter of failure, it looms larger with, yeah. with the father in that situation. So there were, there were threads that I wanted to pull out because it would have been less complicated or we could have spent more time on something else. But it, eventually by removing some of the supporting characters, the, the stories that were in there, each one contributed to the whole. And I felt like I couldn't remove them, even though it would have, it would have made our job easier. Well, I mean, just as you said, there's that one extraordinary line from the mother, um, uh, who says, uh, you know, I think Josh Charles is is saying something along the lines of your son could make a million, you know, be a millionaire before he turns 20 or something along those lines. Sorry if I'm butchering your words, but, but, (laughs) but the mother turns around and says, what if he doesn't, what if he fails? What if he doesn't make it? You know, like, have you considered the, what happens if he doesn't make it? And I think that's a quite an extraordinary sort of line in the middle of that. And it, it, it got me thinking as well about, you know, just from your point of view, uh, obviously you've got these, in a way you're dealing with systemic issues, with societal issues, with, you know, like medical issues, um, you know, a lot of technicalities. And I know that's something, uh, again, listening to your podcast, you're really good at, you know, like, um, I think, uh, listening to your podcast is something that's amazing, which is that you, uh, have this ability to, uh, systemize everything I try to do instinctively, but like you do it really like, for example, you're all about spreadsheets and organization and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And that stuff I just, I'm terrible at, but I was curious with all of that in mind, um, Tehran's journey as a personal story, what, what do you think, you know, like what is, where is your journey as a, as a storyteller in Tehran's story? What do you, what do you find personal and empathetic about what he's going through? Like, how does it affect you to think about young, young men going through this or did, is something like that happened in your life that you kind of brought to the table there? I don't know that it's happened to me specifically. It's more something that as an observation, I felt that it was an injustice hiding in plain sight Mm -hmm. in our society and that 
again, the power of film is to put the audience in the shoes of somebody they may not know personally, that they may walk by on the street, that they don't understand the, the challenges that that person's facing, and that the sort of intrinsic power of the film would be just to spend 90 minutes with this kid at this incredible inflection point in his life where I think you could argue that these young basketball players, if you're being that highly ranked as a teenager, or even before you're a teenager, that what you're being told you could have and what you currently have in your life, that that's the widest gap of anywhere in our mm -hmm. society. And that creates an incredible amount of pressure on them. And I, th I think the system will ultimately change. Yeah. And I hope this movie will be a part of that. And in addition to what you mentioned with the, the, FBI cases and corruption in college basketball. You know, they just had a, a Condoleezza Rice just chaired yeah. a, a committee making recommendations on how to fix college basketball and all these things. And everyone is stopping short of saying uh, the athletes should be paid. Right. Yeah. People are stopping short of that. But, um, you know, I just felt like the, the kid's perspective on it was both because of a certain naivete that he would have and bringing to it, there was actually a, a more pure perspective on what is right and what is wrong and that it takes some of the allegiance that people have to their alma maters and what, what is the status quo out of the equation and just a simple question that only a kid could ask that we could ask uh, through his journey. And there's something um, interesting there where the Tehran actually triumphs in a way that I think no other uh, nobody else in that universe could do, you know, because he is young, he is somewhat naive, but also, um, you know, I think that the title alludes to this. He's a, he's a sort of a diamond in the rough as far as amateurs is concerned, as far as the title is concerned, because he can play the system in a way that nobody else can using social media. And, and I, I, I mean, I don't know if this is too much of a line, but I, I kind of saw a parallel just like thinking about you and no film school and the sort of entrepreneurship of like creating something thing for yourself that 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 resonated with Tehran did you I mean look at you Venn diagramming the shit out of that I'm just I'm like that guy in a beautiful mind I'm like uh, was it Nash okay let's no. not go beautiful <laughs> I was just saying it was a clever but uh, do, you, do you I mean does that kind of either ring true or not am I off base there I should hear you may have seen something in me that even I didn't see <laughs> <laughs> she hears like the filmmaker whisperer. <laughs> I mean, I do think that fundamentally I, I do believe in these individuals rights mm -hmm. to an extent. And that may be a reflection of, of, um, your, your world. Yeah. But way. you know, I mean, I, I will say that as filmmakers, I don't think anybody is, is telling us like, you're going to be a millionaire one day, kid. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Everyone is literally saying that uh, until, well, no, I, I had the sort of interesting sort of uh, thing where like, you know, when you're in your, you know, big fish, small pond sort of section of your life, everyone's like, you're, you're going to be Spielberg. The next Spielberg is what you're going to do. And you're like, uh, cool. And I mean, you never buy it, but then the second you hit college or, or anything like that, people are like, no, you're going to be poor. Like no question. Yeah. The same uh, people are also, like, hey, my VCR can't work. And you know something about, about film, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That Connect. person, is, but in all those situations, that person is my dad. Okay, fair, <laughs> fair. Um, with all of the plate spinning for, for, for all of the different uh, things this film is, is doing throughout, uh, you know, all the things that basically Shahir listed, is there one in particular that you wished you could have spent more time on like I know because I mean filmmaking is killing your darlings there's no question about that is there one where you're like and, I mean understanding why you say didn't follow a thread further but like is there any that off the top of your head be like man it would have been really cool to sort of explore that absolutely the father character in the film had there was definitely more to tell there mm -hmm. and I think in some cases because the film is a single character point of view and we, you don't get to go to other scenes that happen between other characters off screen in this configuration that there was definitely more there and I had written more there, but in the momentum of a film and a 90 minute in the pacing of it, you, you just can't with one character as your point of view, you can't really veer off to the side mm. and have it be that deep or that dramatic. And it, it can just take you out of it because the whole thing is really, it all hinges on your attachment to this kid and then just staying close to him the whole time. Yeah. So there was definitely more to be said there. And at a certain point it felt like maybe we're saying more than this movie can hold. Sure. And that was, that was unfortunate, but 
again, you know, I think at a certain point the the movie and in editing it speaks to you and it tells you this is what it this is what it needs. Yeah. I um I I really dug the father. I really dug um the um what's it called? The I, I loved again. I brought up that my my previous problems with sports, you know, and I'm I'm talking about sports films like 2000s and sort of before. We've all determined that those are no longer with us for the majority of the. I mean, they're not. No one's making new. Uh, not well, I mean, they're still pumping out like Air Buds and like all that <laughs> stuff. But like, I wouldn't really consider those sports films. The the oh man, you and I can have a debate about. Are that. we gonna do an Air Bud <laughs> cinematic universe Retro- thing? Retrospective. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Golden receiver, golden <laughs> retriever. I don't know. Um, the the thing. I really dug about this film uh, is sort of in the beginning of it, you are set up to sort of be like, cause you know, something's a little bit, you know, uh, depending the father has a, a, a football injury causing him to have his own issues. Uh, you kind of feel like the agent has some sort of ulterior motive. Uh, some of the people on his team are not the most supportive members of the thing. You know, everyone in the beginning, it, it always sort of like started a little bit like, okay, this is sort of going to be the bad guy. But by the end of it, which I really love. And I think this is, this is what developing actual characters in film is all about. No one's the fucking bad guy. There's not one person in this thing. They're all that everyone is out for number one out for themselves or it, but even the father and the mother are kind of out for themselves because they're out for the kid. Like it's it's everyone has an agenda, a very clear agenda. And never did I feel that like someone was mustache twirling or being evil for the sake of being <laughs> evil. It was always like, no, like this is what I'm doing because of this. This is the system. And then eventually as the film goes without spoiling anything, um, the system hopefully uh, is, is changed a little bit and, and the characters all adapt and kind of in a weird way do this thing. I don't see often in film where like, they're all still doing the thing that they that is like their own self-serving thing, but they're doing it in a way that is also beneficial to everyone. <laughs> and that was like I was I hadn't seen that. Uh, I honestly I can't off the top of my head think of a film that actually takes that turn of not even having one person just be like, I mean, you had you could have no villains, but just having sort of like the way it works and still staying true to sort of a self-serving nature of, of a person. Um, because side note, I'll argue that altruism isn't even a real thing and we all have whatever. It's fine. Uh, but it, it made it so it made it it made the characters feel super real. And uh, it, it was that was that sort of. um did you go into this in mind when you were creating this to sort of not have anyone play that archetypal sort of nonsense like role? Was that like a goal or is that just something that like through good writing you you achieved? I, you know, I went into it. I think and, and Shahir knows this as well in film. You can have a few different kinds of conflict. It can be man versus man, man versus himself. Sorry for using the gender specific term, but that's what they say in all the screenwriting books. So rewrite them and then I'll say person uh, <laughs> or man versus system. And I always knew that I wanted to do the last one because that's what I was commenting on with the film. But those are harder to tell because mm. man versus man, you know, in the Marvel universe, you get a lot of fisticuffs, you know, yeah. the conflict is very, very clear and the other kinds are, are harder to portray. So I knew that the characters, I wanted them to be various shades of gray because ultimately the bad guy was going to be a little bit, a bit of a misdirection. The bad guy is none of them. It's, it's the system and what we have set up. And then the other thing we did is that when Josh Charles came on to play coach Gaines is he and I did a lot of work on that character to make sure that there was no mustache twirling and mm. that, we were we were not having it be a movie about a white savior, but we were also not having it be a movie about uh, this one guy is the problem in the system because that's not what we were saying. And yeah. and it was a lot of sort of tiptoeing on the line and trying to figure out how far we could take it and, and what the ambiguity was and the shades of gray. And, um, you know, that was it was great to have to work with him on that as well. The Did scene, you, uh, uh, sorry, just the scene in particular was just that when they had the confrontation, uh, the father and the and the coach had the confront had a certain confrontation where I was like, oh, this is literally everything, like like eighty percent of what's wrong with the system played out through these characters' opinions of what they've both done, yeah. and that was really cool. Sorry, Shahir, I cut. No, you. no, no. Uh, I 
was just going to say, it wouldn't have been fun. Uh, I, I hope at some point you had someone shout, oh, captain, my captain to Josh Charles. Um, but but I, as, as, I, as I say that, I realize none of your actors would even know what that meant, probably. I think when Josh was playing that role, he was probably Michael Rainey Jr.'s age. Age, yeah, yeah. I guess so. So it's yeah. extraordinary to think about Josh Charles as an actor, you know, traveling so far at the point. I think there's something um, interesting there as well with, with, you know, realizing that Josh Charles is actually, uh, Coach Gaines is one small cog in the wheel of, I get, you know, ultimately this is that sort of nebulous area where it's corruption, but it's, you know, not quite, uh, it's, it's not quite, pro- the system is allowing the corruption to happen in a way that, that creates these, you know, economic systems where people, you know, like act in their own best interest. Yeah, he's, he's exactly. He's, he's doing what's, what he can, what the best thing for his world, he's the protagonist of his own world. Like what he's doing makes sense in and, the rules, the way they're set up and, or and, outside the rules for that and, matter. And there's that, there's that wonderful scene where like you realize that he's like sleeping on the, he's sleeping in this like shitty apartment, <laughs> shitty house by himself <laughs> when he could be at home. And it's like, you realize, oh, he's not actually making out like a bandit because the, of this. You the know, presidential like, suite yeah. is what he references it as. <laughs> um, so now that the film is out and, and obviously, you know, it, it's, unfortunately concurrently with the scandal, you know, kind of unfolding as it does. But I'm curious, you know, as you said, Netflix is a, is a different beast when it comes to distribution. You know, it's not like just putting your movie in like, you know, and to be honest, an independent movie like this with no stars, you might be lucky to get 300 screens in America or something like that. But you've got access to what is it? 90 million screens or 190 million screens around the world. Something as we record 120 million, but by the time this comes out, it'll probably be 121 million. I mean, yeah. it's <laughs> quite, quite uh, rapid on the, the growth front. And basketball is one of those sports that is universal. It is, you know, unlike, say, baseball, which doesn't carry much outside of the U.S. and Japan, basketball seems to carry everywhere. And I'm curious, now that the film has been released and is being seen in so many different places, like, uh, what has been the response to the film? And has there been, uh, you know, you you said yourself, you know, you kind of wanted to uh, open people's eyes a little bit, you know, like, has that happened? Or how have people responded in terms of seeing the film and and, and the stories that it's trying to tell. The response has been amazing. I mean, that's one of the great things about social media is, is being, especially on Twitter, you know, because Instagram is images and Facebook is a little more private, like Twitter, just going and searching and seeing what people are saying. Right. Is, uh, I mean, first of all, the keyword amateur will also get you some other content. Yeah, exactly. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, um, is it actually, I'm like, I don't think that's my movie. But. Is it actually amateur <laughs> film or amateur Netflix on I just, I, I make sure you use the, uh, the, the word Netflix in there. Right. If okay. you're going to do a search. It's going to get you to some other places. <laughs> amateur movie, amateur movie, especially will get you somewhere else. Yes. There you go. But yeah, no, it's been great to see people not only in English, but in so many other languages, um, engaging with the movie. And, and one of the greatest compliments to me has been that the ending of the film has been quite divisive. Mm-hmm. And I think in this arena, as Matt, you've noted, there are certain expectations and some of the things that you commented on as liking other people want those expectations to be met. Yeah, and right. they're like, this That's isn't a sports it. movie. What, you know, like there's no big game at the end where he has to hit the game winner, you know? So, so people are disappointed about that, but the great thing, I think the best thing you can do to engender discussion among an audience is to get them to just disagree with each other. And if this were in theaters, you would see people coming out of the theater, feeling a different way and debating about it afterward. And in this case, that discussion, because it's on Netflix has happened on Twitter where people are saying, this is the greatest movie ever made, or this is the worst movie ever made. (laughs) But they're watching it yeah, and yeah. they're disagreeing about it. And I'm, I'm, I think a divisive opinion is a compliment because apathy is the thing you're most afraid of. And people, people watching two minutes and turning it off, they don't tweet about the movie, you right. know? So the fact that people are really engaging with it and debating each other and someone saying, you told me this was terrible. It was great. Or vice versa. Right. You know, it's, it, it's been really great to see. And like, and, and, and it's probably one of the few films like, like, I mean, the only one I, other one I can think of is blue chips, uh, that actually tackles this subject in some detail, like to the point where I would imagine Condoleezza Rice might've watched this. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. I'd like to see her, her tweet about it for sure. Um, but and so now you're in this arena where you have created something that is wholly unique, wholly, uh, intrinsic to what you bring to the table. What do you think you want to do next other than maybe get some sleep, you know, like uh, catch up on, on life a little bit, but what's the, what's the next step? 
not basketball. Really? I not mean, a, I, I, not sports. I mean, I, I, I said, wonder if I said been... what I wanted to say about sports. That was part of where the football and some other elements come in. I yeah. think, I think there's, there's, there's a lot more to explore if you were to paint with a, on a larger canvas, mm-hmm. but in terms of a single feature, you know, I think yeah, this is, this is what I wanted to say. Uh, as you know, I'm the founder of you know, film school. I built a internet platform and company myself. So have had a certain relationship with social media and the internet and technology. And then I got off of social media for two years mm, yeah. when I made this movie, which some things happened in the world yeah. during that time. Yeah. Just One ignore or two. 2016 yeah, a couple entirely. Times. Yeah. I was only going to go off for a year, but then some things happened and I decided to, to, yeah, to watch. Maybe a sit it out. Why yeah, not? Sit it out for a little while. Why you know? not? You know? Um, so I'm, I'm definitely interested in more of the, the technology and political and sci-fi and uh, media side of what's going on in our world. And, and that's, what's, that's what I really, really relish is because seven years of making a movie, it doesn't matter what topic you make a movie about to go from soup to nuts to having an idea to being told no 80 times to going into prep and then shooting it and then being in post and cutting the movie for several months and then release again, seeing how the world responds, like all of those things, there could be no better learning experience. And she here, it's why you got to get your ass in gear, man. You got to, you got to, you got to just start seven years start doing just, it. I'll be so old. At that. <laughs> so all right. To be fair, you're already so old. So you I, might as well just do it. Um, real quick. I'm, I'm just curious because I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I I don't want to pick. Uh, I want to be like, what's the, what's the next thing you're doing? Because I don't want you to spoil it, and you can spoil it later if you feel like it. What I kind of want to do, so I can pretend to get into your head and glean what I think you're gonna do next. I want to know what films or television you are currently sort of watching and are like, oh yes, this this is the shit. There's so much right yeah. now. I mean, there's so much, and it's all over the map, right? I mean. Atlanta is one of the most incredible shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you go back a couple years further, I, I thought the Nick was one of the most yep. incredible yeah. oh God, shows. Steven I mean, T- TV right now is, yeah. yeah. I mean, Steven Soderbergh is the reason I wanted to be a filmmaker and you can look at that and say, see how broad his it's body of work is. His body of work. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, for me coming off of this movie, I made this movie. I didn't have an agent. I didn't have a manager. I <laughs> Sundance, the yeah. Sundance Institute was so supportive. They were kind of the the power of introductions that I needed in order to help get this movie made and recently signed with managers and have been having that discussion about what's next and topics and, and those kinds of things. Um, and so if you know, if you go into a meeting and you say that you want to be Steven Soderbergh, it's actually not very helpful. No, not at because all. he's made literally everything. I mean, Unsane just came out on an iPhone, but then before, you know, it's like Mosaic every, was his ex- project. Yeah, exactly. As well. So yeah. like, oh, so you basically want to do everything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and also, you don't want to be pinned down. Is that? I mean, but is that kind of like the Soderbergh reference is someone who doesn't get pinned down by a style or a topic? And is that kind of the impulse that you have right now? You've just done seven years of a basketball movie. The next film might have nothing to do with athletics, sports, or anything because you want to swing the pendulum in the other direction. Exactly. And yeah. you, you run the risk of being pigeonholed. Yeah. So, so either, I mean, I've always personally admired filmmakers who uh, match their style to the topic, mm-hmm. not vice versa. Yeah. So Soderbergh is a great example. Sidney Lumet. William Friedkin. William with, Friedkin. People who just, yeah. you know, George Miller. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Happy Feet and Mad Max. And Mad Max, yeah. And so, Lorenzo's Oil. <laughs> so that that has always been something that that drew me to filmmaking was not only do you get to work with photography and literature and music and theater all in one medium, but from project to project, you're also reinventing yourself and, and telling a different story. And after seven years of living and breathing youth basketball, hmm. It, it's such a great feeling to to take the storytelling lessons that I've learned, but then apply them to an entirely other topic and and uh, just just sort of you know have the movie speak for itself and and have it be that one uh, one work and one topic and then move on to to other things because it, it's a crazy world we live in right now. There's a lot going on. What are you talking about? Everything's fine. <laughs> it's all sane. Everything makes sense. <laughs> 
I, I also <laughs> the the speed of everything seems you know Soderbergh released three movies in the last you know year despite being supposedly retired. Um, it's funny how that works. You uh, now you know obviously seven years is one thing, but there's reasons for that. The acceleration at this point must be, or the impulse to be accelerated in some way uh, must be kind of you know an extraordinary pressure at this point. Is there is there kind of like okay I can't let seven years happen again? You know like oh yeah for sure yeah but that but that's also because. I think the first feature is so hard to get made because most movies fail to pay their investors back or to find an audience or, you know, like, so as a first time filmmaker, it's so difficult to get one made coming off of a film that's been very successful for Netflix. There are a lot more opportunities, but the great thing about it is then you get to put your eggs in multiple baskets. And so one disappointment on one side, you can, you can pivot over to the other project that you're working on with a different company and so on and so forth to sort of be constantly generating material and, and, and working and not just, you know, being told no and then going back to the drawing board. So it's definitely uh, just a really exciting time to have multiple things in motion at once. Are the, have the, are the no's slowly turning into, instead of no and, is it becoming maybe uh, and? I mean, I haven't gotten to the no stage yet, so. We'll there see. we go. We'll see. Oh, really? Yeah. We'll yep. see. But no, but I mean, it's also, it's the very beginning, you know, yeah. It, it's, yeah. um, it's. Uh, oh, I thought you meant like everyone's been saying yes right now. Oh, yeah. No, I have a 19 picture deal with now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but I mean, that's also part of um, coming out of a movie that, again, you know, signing with managers and just developing things. It, it's great because you essentially then have people working for you and you actually know what's going on in the industry and you're not just flying blind. You're not just throwing darts and, and finding out that all these meetings you took were people who didn't really have any interest in what you're, you were trying to make. It's, it's, um, so it's definitely like leveling up in a way that's, that's really exciting. And that's why I'm moving to LA. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's storytelling and, and, um, I can't wait to, you know, I love, I love Toronto Forte, but you know, <laughs> moving, moving on. You, you've, you've been with them for a while. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I raised that kid. Yeah. He should be 23 now, but he's still 14. Um, I'm curious though, like as a sort of a, you know, as we're wrapping this up a little bit, like what are the things that you want to draw from ah. the experience of making amateur that you want to keep for whatever it is you make next? I think that the fact that the movie had something to say about the world, you know, I grew up always, um, maybe I wasn't the best understander of movie plots. Like mm -hmm. there are things that would, I would just be, I'd be thinking about what the film was saying mm -hmm. and what it was, you know, how it would be remembered years later and what was, what it was really engaging with as opposed to the actual nuts and bolts of sure. the conflict and the characters and everything. So my head was always in that other space. And I always want to bring that to, to the table in terms of thinking about like, what are we actually doing here? Yeah. Cause it's entertainment, it's movies, but storytellers, they also invent the world and change people's minds and influence people to make decisions differently and all sorts of things. And you have to be trying to, in some way, change the world through what you're doing. And so it's not just a matter of like, what does my career need next? And what is my quote and getting that up and like being a big, you know, director. It's like, what are you saying about the world and how are you influencing it? And, and what are other people taking away from your work? Like, that's always what I want to bring to it. Okay. Matt, any, any final thoughts about amateur before we, uh, Oh, yeah, we have to kind of do final thoughts. Sorry, I'm just enamored with talking to the person who made it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, look, I mean, we've 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 talked about the uh, the Netflix, uh, the Netflix model and how it changes for 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 different filmmakers and how that even the, the whole the whole culture of filmmaking is shifting based on distribution models. Uh, and and I got to say, I mean, the the ability to have your film be out and to to the world sort of as you've said it and opening it uh showing it to so many eyes who might never have gotten to see it is, is a wonder to behold i would suggest that everybody who has a netflix uh a, a account uh and if you don't and you listen to this that's weird uh you should obviously check out amateur it's it's a sports movie that will surprise you we talked about it too a lot we didn't really spoil anything I don't think I don't so. think we did. That's you know, I'm going to pat us on the back here. I think we did a good job um, of being intentionally vague <laughs> of being intentionally vague, but still talking about the important things that this film is actually about. And now you can because you literally have the pipeline straight into your home. Most likely you can go experience it for yourself and see what the what the heck we're talking about and and, and enjoy the film on your own. So uh, that's my final thought. Everyone should check it out. Um, and yeah, Shahir. 
I mean, uh, yeah, again, you know, like it's a full disclosure thing. Uh, you know, Ryan and I know each other. I, I'm obviously a fan of yours. I find what you do to be inspiring. And I, and I, uh, I, I think what you do makes me a better filmmaker. Oh, so, um, I, you know, I, I have, I come from, from that point of view. So that's just a full disclosure, but I think everyone should see this film because not just because of that, I think it's a fascinating story that there are not, that's not being told. And I think that's one of the important things that you did here. And it is exciting to watch and it is compelling and the, the performances are great. And, and it has this clear through line of, um, uh, a passion to tell a story that is undertold for people to, to have their eyes open. And I think that, you know, that, that is something, you know, Matt and you and I talk about this a lot in the Marvel cinematic universe that we all inhabit now is kind of a rare thing. And, and to have it be available, you, you're, you are part of a, a paradigm of filmmakers that are changing the rules. Um, and being on Netflix, being one of the first, you know, um, to, to actually have a Netflix deal like that, uh, means that, that it's an important film, not just from the actual content point of view, but, but also from a, from people who want to be filmmakers and to think about how their work can affect people in many ways. Um, and then I, I love basketball. I love watching basketball. <laughs> what is extraordinary is that you're, um, you know, the other thing is, is like, I stopped watching basketball. I can, I can tell you exactly when I stopped watching basketball. Tell it was, us. It was uh, June 2000, um, which would have been, if anyone uh, will remember, it would be the finals between, um, was it the Sixers? Uh, no, Indiana Pacers and LA. And I'll, the reason I stopped is I went to that game and, and it was kind of like no experience could live up after, after being at that game. Um, but, but your, your movie actually opened up a rabbit hole for me of, of wanting to find out more. And there's a, there's a uh, Netflix, there's a documentary on Netflix called at all costs. I don't know if you've seen that, mm -hmm. um, about the AAU, which I think is a perfect companion piece to your film because it actually like, it has real characters that, that are going through that night. And I, and I saw just so many direct parallels. I ended up starting to watch that. I, I started, I, I went down the rabbit hole of Baldur's Life, uh, dot com. So I was like, and, and I like, it actually got me on the court again as well. Oh, nice. You know, so I was actually like playing basketball again, although I, I'm old and slow and, and, and bad. But you're on the court. I'm you're, on the court. You're there. And, and maybe, maybe if, uh, if people haven't listened to the podcast yet as well, uh, first feature, uh, the other thing is, is it's got me inspired to, to, you know, to get my ass off the gear, uh, off the ground and, and start working on that first feature with some more conviction. Stop spending so much time on the court <laughs> yeah. and exactly. get back to your, 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 your passion. Look, I think I still got some years on me. I can still make it. Right. <laughs> I got uh, a hoop dream, son. Ryan, uh, final thoughts on your film. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I that's a that's a great compliment to say that you got back on the court because I did, even though the film, even though Amateur explores sort of the dark underbelly, and as you said earlier, it's like opening the hood and looking underneath, I did make it out of real love for the sport. Like, mm. I, I love basketball unreasonably, yeah. mm. and um, I've been injured a lot, and so there have been times where I couldn't play it, and then I missed it like it was a, a really, you know, great friend that had been taken out of my life. So um, I'm glad to hear you say that, and I hope that other people feel the same way when they watch it, is even though it is dark and dramatic and has some of the downsides that, you know, it is made out of love and... Also, I hope if you don't have any affinity for basketball whatsoever, that you can identify with the family and the emotional journey and the challenges they face. And, uh, you know, from talking to Netflix, like they've seen that, that people who don't, you know, have any sort of sports films in their queue normally have responded to it. Um, I'm, I'm one of those. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So, so even if, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't say you should directly come from infinity war to amateur. Um, <laughs> if you, know. you want, I can connect them. I I'll do the legwork. Oh, really? yeah. Uh, I'll email it to you, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, th thank you guys. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, and, and this end tag that I'm going to say has never felt more, uh, erroneous uh <laughs> due to uh just everything we've talked about your podcast your website everything but this has been the only <laughs> podcast about the film amateur uh ryan when you are say when when you are not saying no to standardized cinematic institutions where can folks find you i'm on twitter at ryan b Koo. Um, but also you've got, you, you've still got a couple of episodes at the time of releasing this of, yes. um, uh, first feature coming out and one episode that listeners can directly engage with as well. So how can people do that? Absolutely. So as you listen to this, our ninth episode of the podcast, the first feature will be coming out on nofilmschool.com or in iTunes and all the places you can find the only podcast about movies. <laughs> it's, it's the only, only other. other podcast about 
film. <laughs> different sure. different keywords. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, just all different hashtag so keywords. It's, it's part of the No Film School podcast. So episode nine that we're releasing right basically after this episode comes mm-hmm. out is about the reception and the movie coming out in the world and being on Netflix worldwide and all of that. But the 10th episode is a Q&A, and it's not meant to be asking me questions about my movie because you guys just took care of that thing. <laughs> it's it's also, you know, if you are a filmmaker and you are trying to get a feature made, you can email us at firstfeature at nofilmschool.com or just uh, find me on Twitter at Ryan B. Koo, and we're going to try to do it more like a Q&A after a screening where we can answer whatever questions people might have and hopefully uh, help, help some more first features get made. Yeah, and like I say, um, we have a lot of um, film school listeners yes. and um, film students who listen to us, and I think it's highly uh, I, th- I think it should be in a way compulsory view, uh, listening it's weird because I love shows like uh, uh, Project Greenlight or The Chair or things like that and I think what well, you've done that in podcast form uh, to some extent um, so it should be required viewer, uh, listening <laughs> I keep saying required viewing uh, I mean you could watch you could watch the, yeah. the bar on the your phone yeah, sort yeah, of oh the waveform like on SoundCloud and ex- stuff exactly do that <laughs> we are uh, on SoundCloud uh, Shahir when you are not <laughs> Uh, finally reliving your dream to just pick up the rock and get back on the court and shoot all the three-pointers from behind the line and break the glass. On, am I doing the right? No, you've only ever watched Nike commercials. Damn just it. You did say the rock. That was pretty good. I mean, Ooh, you're not good. pulling a, a Ted Cruz where he said the, the basketball ring. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> when, when, I'm not, when you're not listening to me butcher basketball terminology, where can folks find you? You can find me probably injured on the court. <laughs> and if you wanted to see photos of that, you could go to my website, I guess, www.shahirdaud.com, S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Uh, Matt, when you are reliving your youth of watching um, Spike Lee playing Michael Jordan in Nike commercials, where can people find you? Whoa. Uh, I think you've referenced someone else's youth, but if I was that, <laughs> uh, then you could find me at uh, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, you can find me on Instagram at Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z, or uh, uh, Twitter uh, Emperor MSK. Also, I think this might be the last week that I'm teasing my super weird new gig <laughs> thing that I can't talk about yet. Uh, which super will be hush. it'll be added to this line of plugs. So this is oh. my non-plug to plug. Wait, uh, are you going to record the plug without me? Is that what you're saying? No, dummy. I'm I'm saying I'll be able to toss to another thing eventually, and oh, I can't toss to it yet. I see. Um, yeah, and you can find me <laughs> all, on all the stuff there. You, you understood that <laughs> reference. Um, Ryan, thank you so much again for coming. I really appreciate it. It's It's been super fun. Thank you, guys. I've been listening for a while, so it's fun to, to be on here. Yeah. All right. And uh, I guess we will, uh, everyone will hear us next week. You yeah. should hear Ryan in a couple days on his next podcast. And, and uh, uh, we might be talking about a certain Merc with a mouth. Is that is that the terminology? See, uh, now we're going to butcher because I don't know superhero terminology. He is the Merc with the mouth. Is but, that it? But I actually like, just, just pulled that off. The, off uh, my uh, we're referencing Deadpool 2. <laughs> we're going to do Deadpool 2 next week. Uh, the, 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 the It's interesting. He doesn't have a mouth in his costume. So I was always like, why are you calling it? Because he because he talks and gets my, I don't know. And anyway, uh, heart you, Ryan Reynolds, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.